0: Welcome to the Parish Art Museum podcast, where we aspire to provide opportunities for learning, sharing, and celebrating the many innovative and pioneering artists who call the East End home. Come back each week to find new and impactful experiences in the arts. Welcome to the Parish Art Museum. Thank you everyone for coming out tonight. My name is Corinne Ernie. I'm the Senior Curator of Arts Reach and Special Projects here at the Parish. And I worked with these two lovely ladies for the Parish Roadshow for this year. The Parish Roadshow is an annual project in which we take art outside of the museum walls. It's a way to engage with our communities and to invite local artists to create special works, to uh, exhibit in uh, locations outside of the museum, Uh, Of their choices and this also allows us to engage with local institutions and create partnerships and network with them. So uh, the artists actually get to choose uh, the venues that they want to work with and that's always a wonderful um, new experience for all of us. So um, of course these projects are not possible without our sponsors so I would like to thank them first of all. So the Parish Roadshow 2019 is made possible by the generous support of the Dorothy Lichtenstein Arts Reach Fund established by Agnes Gund, Deborah Buck, Sandy and Steven Pearlbinder, Jane Wesman and Donald Savilson, Leslie Rose Close and Joni Sternbach. And the Friday night programs at the parish are made possible by our uh, presenting sponsor, Bank of America, with additional support of the Corcoran Group and also Sandy and Steven Pearlbinder. So, one thing I also want to mention is that typically, we have now the works of both Rocho artists in the museum as well for a certain t- amount of time. And you can see both of uh, the artists' work in the spine until Sunday. And also, Lori's work will be up at Madhu until um, tomorrow. So, it's gonna close very soon. So, I would so, like, like to um, introduce the artists. First of all, Laurie Lambrecht, who's sitting to my far right. She is a native of Bridgehampton who works in photography and fiber. She has been featured in numerous solo exhibitions in the U.S. and abroad, and her photographs are in the collections of the National Gallery of Art DC and the Parrish Art Museum, among many others. In the early 1990s, as administrative assistant to Roy Lichtenstein, she photographed the artist and his process. Roy Lichtenstein in his studio, the monograph of her project, was published by Monacelli Press in 2011, She has worked with Robert Wilson at the Watermill Center since 1993 and from 2012 to 2014, she photographed a documentary project for the Rauschenberg Foundation in Florida, where she was also in residence. Candace Hill Montgomery, to my immediate right, she is a multimedia artist who focuses on weavings that explore the many ways in which threads can tell stories and make cultural commentary. Using a wide variety of fibers, she creates complex layers of allegories and fables that reference her own life, as well as social and political challenges. Her earlier work has been exhibited at arts institutions such as the Bronx Museum, the New Museum, Printed Matter, Artist Space, uh, and Creative Time, among many others. She was artist in residence at the Studio Museum in Harlem, and she has received fellowships from uh, the Guggenheim as well as the National Endowment for the Arts. And in 1985, she curated a group exhibition, including Lorna Simpson with Lucy Lippard, which was titled Working Women, Working Artists, Working Together at the Gallery 1199. So please welcome our roadshow artist. Thank you. And um, I also want to take a moment to thank our partners for this year. That's the Sag Harbor Whaling and uh, Historical Museum and the Madu Conservancy in Sagaponack. In so I'd like to start with Laurie, since your work is, is up right now, and just ask you to walk us a little bit through the process of what inspired you to go to Madu what inspired you to make the specific work that you made for this installation because I would say up to now you've been working very much two-dimensional, you know, photography, print, and so forth, and so this took you really into the three-dimensional realm. Right. So if you can walk us through that process a little a little bit.
1: Well, I think the reason um, I was drawn to Madhu was because of the landscape feeling a lot like it did for me as a child growing up out here. I used to bike ride through psychoponic all the time as a young person, and I knew Bob Dash when I was a teenager and was really, I think his landscape paintings were the first paintings I ever knew that looked like where I grew up. That was interesting to me. I think that Working at Medu, I started thinking about Bob Dash and about the way he used color, not only in his paintings, but in the garden, and the way he painted objects in the garden that stayed there all year round. And I thought, how can you hold on to the color that's so fantastic of the plant life in the garden that changes so quickly week to week? And at that point, I started to photograph purely for the color, and which was a new way for me to use the camera. I wasn't worried about composition or focus, really. I just really wanted to concentrate on the emotional value of color. And for the last few years, I've been returning to a love of working with fiber um, that I didn't pay attention to for a long time. And because
0: you, you were also. Around. I used to be
1: a sweater designer early in my life. Uh, and when I put on my photography hat, I stopped doing anything to do with yarn and wool. And this project really allowed me to marry these two loves of mine, these two things that were really great expressions for me. And the other thing that it enabled me to do was to be outside in the landscape that I really love.
0: So what I was really impressed by, or what really caught my eye, was you photographed the colors of the summer, like the, the, the flowers of Madhu, and uh, you printed it on fabric and cut strips from these fabrics and used it to weave new tapestries, so.
1: Right, I started thinking about you know, how does the squirrel see from up on the tree and look down at, you know, like these funny thoughts you have, sometimes you think like that when you drive the car too, you wander. Anyway, I was, want, I was wondering like how do the animals see it? or you know, what is it like if we had an aerial view of things and um, how you don't necessarily pick individual things out, things kind of blend together and how that composition can be really beautiful and identifiably belonging to one place and sort of like the way you can look at a mountain range in one part of the world and you know that that belongs to Colorado as compared to the Alps. There's like a certain combination of lots of little things that add up to something major.
0: And what's really interesting is that actually these colors uh, of these flowers somehow really match Robert Dash's I mean, when you look at these images or when you look at it in in, in the gardens, you can see how it all really uh, comes together, mm-hmm. these colors. So maybe he was inspired by, <laughs> by that as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And um, for me, it was interesting because when I would separate the fabrics after I would printed them, I would cut them and then I would put them in a box where I segregated them. So things that were sort of yellow would go in one direction and the colors that would get you know, the warm colors and the cool colors would be separated. I realized that it was really, I was using a color palette that was not natural to me. It was not what I would pick up um, a paintbrush and decide this is the color I want to work with. Because your colors are usually
0: more muted. Right, right? but I
1: wanted to be true to the seasonal uh, aspect of the garden as I was looking at it.
0: Okay, thank you. I think I want to, Talk with uh, Candace for a minute and um, ask you about your project um, at the Whaling Museum. How did that come about? I know some of the works were already made, but can you talk a little bit about what brought you to making weavings? Because that's a more recent kind of work that. that I makes... don't know
2: what brought me to weaving, actually. It's a, that's, you know, Laurie and I started around the same time with weaving. Uh, we've,
0: and you're both so in Bridgehampton, so yeah. there must have yes, been some and, kind of and energy so flying we're, around. We're two blocks <laughs> yeah. away from each other. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Right. There
2: must have been something in the air about weaving. And, um, <laughs> you know, like little, maybe the way the um, twigs were flying around or something. Yeah, I, I had started weaving because my studio was actually too cold for me to go in and paint. So I needed something to do inside my house, which... In my bed, actually, I've I've been <laughs> Colette for the last five years. So wait, yeah. wait, too long. Yeah. uh So, um, and uh, you know, yeah. listening to you talk, it's it's uh, fascinating because you're very orderly. It sounds like it. I'm very disorderly. I uh, do a lot of painting on one silk also, and or you know, end pieces of canvases and just kind of tick torn things. And then I really wasn't thinking about those things being part of, of the weave until, I don't know, like the weaves needed some painterly quality. So I got these end pieces and stuck some of them in parts of the weave. So, so the that we are kind of thinking about the same kinds of things. Right, and but it, your process is very of, different. The process in, is different.
0: So yeah. um, obviously your are um, I mean, your weavings to me are incredibly rich. I mean, I was immediately drawn to them. Thank and and I, I just felt like I saw layers and layers of, of stories. And it turns out that there are layers and layers of stories. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all quite personal. And some of them are, they're commentaries, they're political. They're about some of the issues that you care about. Could you talk a little bit about what what you weave into your... Your works and how do you go about it? Does does the idea come first, um, or do you just start somewhere and then something emerges? I mean,
2: well, I start just start, you know, and I, I taught myself how to weave from a book, you know, from how to do plain weave, and so I really needed to learn how to do that first before I could think about what these things would become. So. Really, my mindset has never really changed from that early uh, learning. How do we just putting color after color after color somewhere on your loom, and then it winds up as something that I didn't know? Because I—it's like I've been a painter. I really don't like to know the outcome of things. Why do it if you if you know ahead of time what it's going to be all about? So. Um, so that kind of really fascinated me, that you could do the same thing with threads that uh, and, in fact- In a better way than- even But the process with is the, so much slower. Oh God, it's horrible. Yeah. How
0: long does it- <laughs>
2: <take>? <laughs> That's the problem How with long it. does it
0: take you to make one of these weaves? And they're like- It could be- Like 25 be by 25? Months, months. Months?
2: Three months four or four months sometime with the bigger, the larger ones. And then I I always hope never to get to a spot where I just don't know what color to use, you know, because that's what it is for me. I'm really looking at each piece as a, you know, it could be a quilt or, you know, a color painting or something. I just sometimes get a little blocked with what color (coughs) should be next, because I don't know what the outcome. Going to be so that right. could take a month for me to be sitting there thinking about that. Right, right. And it's pretty spontaneous, though. So.
0: But I still want to poke you a little bit more because I, I we've talked about your works and and you've told me a lot about you know some of the themes and. I mean, there are references to Tiger Wood, to Rihanna, to, um, you know, celebrities, to... Yeah, because
2: I'm constantly well. watching television.
0: Okay. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's
2: what I do. I watch CNBC, like, and, and <laughs> CNN. And, you know, so, I, you know, you have in your mind, along with your own personal texture of life, what's going on in the world. And it does show up in the weeds. I don't, you know, say, oh, I'm going to do... Well, I did with the Michelle Obama dress. That was one where I thought about ahead of time because I was really jealous about uh, Amy Sherrod getting that commission. And I was like, (laughs) that is not something I would have done with her. And so I kept thinking about it and, and it was like sticking in my mind, like what the heck? So I decided to do a week with the dress I would have put on her. And the, and the kind of abstraction I would have done with her face and all. So, that's one I really, you know, there are some that, you know, you can think about. But that one I did long after I figured out the process of weaving. Right. So I, th- I could, um, but I still had a problem with the bottom of her feet. You know, she's supposed to be sitting up on a chair or a bed or something with her feet out. Like, she's in relaxed mode with, uh, you know, like when she went to Target that time with the hat and everybody got mad, you know. It's like, why is she out looking like that? So I had a hard time with the bottom of her feet because just feet are hard in general to either paint or weave. But the dress came out pretty good because I used, like, sneakers, the, the laces mm-hmm. on the sneakers. And I have a thing about things laying flat you know, like like uh, leather, and sneaker laces, and I don't know if you have this issue also with, uh, you know, you can use a certain, like, jute. Mm-hmm. For instance, you use a lot of jute. It doesn't lay flat when you're turning the corner in a weave. And So
0: it creates, uh, really, it creates a three-dimensional. Yeah, but that bothers
2: me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I work with it. um, (laughs) Like,
0: uh, you know, certain things bother me,
2: they don't bother Lori. Um, As I
0: said, we have... And vice versa. And uh, vice versa,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. But the political thing is always there. Hopefully it's not, you know, a glaring, propagandistic... It well, certainly well, isn't,
0: um, and yeah, I think I that's what that. makes the work special, <coughs> is that you really need time to look. You, you need time looking at it and, and let yeah. it sink in, and, and it speaks to you. And, and, and the titles, I mean the titles, they are poems in themselves. Yes. So, and, and I really encourage everyone to um, go out to the spine all the way in the back on the right side. You can see works from both artists, and you can... See the titles, and and actually, Michelle Obama's dress is is here at the parish, so you can see that. Mm -hmm. You can see the feet. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, and the well, there's 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 a story also in your background. Your your great grandmother owned a a dressmaking shop in uptown Manhattan, and your grandmother taught you how to to do needlework, so there, there, is, yeah. there was already something there that you kind of like re, revive, revived. Yes, Yeah. both, yeah. My,
2: gra- both my grandmothers yeah. on both sides yeah. were. were uh, my grandmother, uh, who lived in Alabama in the south, who we visited, she made quilts, right. which I'm in, in the possession of now, lots of good quilts. And my, my northern grandmother, who's really Jamaican, but she lived in Jamaica, Queen uh, Queens, Queens. Um, okay. <laughs> her mother owned a dress shop in Washington Heights and these are women who just knew how to do every single thing like smocking, everything you know mm-hmm. like perfection and um, so uh, my my grandmother taught my northern grandmother taught me how to knit and crochet and how to do all of that and then my southern grandmother didn't teach anything but we just watched her right? Make quilts and things, so I guess it gets—it's in your blood, you know. Yeah. What uh, what you're watching on a kind of, especially right. grandparents who are—they're not—they're not there to really teach you about anything. You you learn by just watching what right. they do, right. and so I guess I'm in that in the tradition of right. That.
0: And can you briefly talk about the. Um, the choice of the Sag Harbor Whaling Museum and what the, the meaning of Sag Harbor has has a meaning for you. Well, I see Michael here. Um,
2: Michael. Hi, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Sag Harbor Whaling Museum, very close to my heart because it's the first museum we ever went to as children mm-hmm. out here. I mean, we've been coming out here uh, to our summer house since I was about 10. And um, we lived on Hampton Street, mm-hmm. which is like 114, I guess, um, and, the, you know, there are certain places that you go on rainy days, you right. know, Gosman's mm-hmm. was a rainy day thing, and, you know, Montauk was the rainy day when you couldn't go to the beach, and uh, the Whaling Museum was really special because of all the Scrimshaw and all of those old things, mm-hmm. so um, I really wanted to show there because, first of all, the the hangings on my work, i you know, I try to find a lot of, well, my father started collecting much to my mother's chagrin, just stuff. So I have a lot of stuff that I still haven't even used, you know, like for huge weaves. I've got really amazing things. So I wanted to show there because the the hangings more than the weaves fit in with what uh, the Wheeling Museum has in yeah, its permanent collection. I think
0: it looked... Perfect in yeah. there. Yeah. That's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Laurie, I would like to talk a bit more about uh, the other works that you show at Medu. We talked about the weavings, um, and if you, you want to add more about the, the way, you know, the weavings, the way you make them, but also the other elements, the, the knitted stones, which I have one here, which was something that you um, started during a residency in Norway, right? right?
1: So a year ago, I was fortunate to have this wonderful studio in a residency on the Hardanger fjord in uh, Norway. And I kept coming back to my studio after walks with big rocks in my every pocket. But at the same time, I was thinking about weaving a lot. And so I was meeting people who raised sheep, uh, who spun wool, who dyed their own wool. And I kept making these small little squares of like stitch gauge things. I don't know, I was trying to figure out which yarn I liked and whatever. And one day I just picked up the rock and put it in one of the squares and I got really excited by the idea. I think I put it together with pins or something and I started bringing them back out to the landscape and photographing them. And I just started thinking about the contrast of what happens to something when you change one aspect of it. So now I was making these stones fuzzy, and how did that change the way it should feel in your hand? Uh, Should it be heavy? I mean, that's the things I found was it looked like it would be soft and fuzzy, and you picked it up and it was heavy. And um, anyway, that stayed with me, uh, that idea and that sort of contrasting idea. And when I came back here, I um, started going a lot to the various bays where I like to go hiking and started to continue that project. And the thing that's been really interesting for me, and it's not something that you asked me about, but I found it such a fantastic thing with people really interact with this pile of stones that are sitting on a table. I was
0: just going to say, I felt like people are really drawn to, to the stones, and I think it was a great idea to put them on the table, like sort of toys and an invitation for people to, right. to come and touch them and place them.
1: So today, for instance, I um, met with um, 15 kids from the SAG schoolhouse, and they're from kindergarten to third grade, and they just, I, I, it was amazing. They took the rocks as a group and kind of hoarded them, you know? Like, <laughs> But without anyone saying anything, they organized five little piles that were color coordinated, like they put all the blues together, all the greens together, and um, everyone that comes up to that table does something different to it without any kind of prompting. As a matter of fact, when I arrived at the opening, it was like three minutes after six or something, and I walked over to that table and someone had made a big peace sign. If you're in the room, fess up. But anyway, someone had made a big peace sign of the rocks, and I went, who did that? You know, I was like because I had made this really organic pile, but it was really the writing on the wall. It continued to be like that. So I loved finally finding something that allowed people to experience the haptic sensation, which is something that I think in museum and gallery world, um, you know, people have their hands behind their back when they look at things, and they don't touch because it's not allowed. But you know, it's really a part of what something is and what our emotional experience and relationship is, is touch. And for me, I, I just love that. You know, it is what it is, and it's. I think it's been a really influential. Thing to a lot of people, and I like that. Okay, so that's the stones.
0: That brings me to <laughs> that brings me to the bark. Um, so you've been photographing bark, and that's uh, also part of what is here. Um, you printed on linen, and uh, for Madhu, you wrapped it around uh,
1: the trees. The trees,
0: and we were sewing and stitching yes. for several days.
1: <laughs> yeah, we upholstered the trees with bark of other trees, and. Again, it's that tactile haptic thing. Um, People in sort of a public atmosphere walk up and start hugging trees in this particular spot. And it's like, yeah, you see people in various places taking pictures of people hugging a tree, but this is like lots of people hugging the tree. And I, I love that. I think for a lot of us, we think uh, in a romantic way about trees, about the metaphor that they have for so many ways of expression from early poetry to early Renaissance paintings. The tree has this presence. And um, I love that people can have an immediate relationship that somehow is caused by it being covered with a piece of fabric.
0: So what was your biggest surprise about this project? Something that you didn't, I mean, obviously, when you get involved in a project like that, you start somewhere you don't really know what the outcome is gonna be exactly and Mm -hmm. how people are going to react. So what were some of the biggest
1: surprises? One of the big surprises for me is I have not tired of being amongst the pieces in that show. I really love sharing it with people. If someone told me it wasn't finished and I had to keep making more pieces, I I would be eager to continue it.
0: Well, Alejandro, what do you think? <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's not here. Um, but um, so I, I think the combination of photography and weaving, um, in this and nature being outdoors, has been this wonderful combination for me that makes me feel very alive. And it's something that I feel passionate about, and I love sharing it with people.
0: And so what we also do now with Roadshow Artists is we um, engage them with uh, school children and adults and ask them to do workshops, and that's why we took it out of the summer months. It used to be in the summer, now we do it in uh, late spring and early fall so that we can also work with, um, with uh, school children mm-hmm. and, and adults, and I, I think seems to me that this experience has also been a very rich um, right. experience. Right. Working, for-
1: uh, I think I've had five or six groups of students from Tuckahoe, Sag Harbor, Bridgehampton, and Sagaponic come through over the last few weeks, and no two groups are the same. But it's astonishing to experience the work with kids. Today, there's one part of the installation where there are small weavings attached to looped wire (laughs) supports. And today, the kids were the same height as, (laughs) and they (laughs) they were all going up and like reaching for them because there's a little hedge in between. And so I guess really what's exciting is to see how people respond to something and immediately you can see how they're thinking differently like the way kids when they go are always picking after they've played with the rocks and whatever then they start picking up things that they find on the ground and showing it to me and that's that's pretty cool you know I think we all lead each other and show our worlds our, our vision of the world to each other and it's really great to have an opportunity where you can be in a situation with so many people can engage with s- things that i find really special mm-hmm. so like the surface of the bark for instance
0: right right so i want to ask uh, Candace also what you know what was your uh, biggest surprise or how did you how did what was the experience of seeing your work in the whaling museum because i think you haven't seen that many of your weavings in one place exhibited that way. Well, this is the
2: first time I've shown the weavings. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really thinking about showing them.
0: And what was the reaction of the audience, and what was your reaction? Well, I had a great,
2: good, you know, good reaction yeah. from yeah. from audience. Yes. Well, f- first of all, you know, when you live in out here in the country, I I still call this the country. You know, <laughs> lived in New York City all my life, so this is still the country. It's very different than, say, a New York gallery situation where people view work in a little different way. You know, quieter, mm-hmm. more contemplative, and uh, yeah, it. I don't know. It's, this is just much nicer, where it seems like more of a community feeling, where you can talk to people and students about exactly what it is that you're, you want to do with your work and why you make titles that are like books, you know. Um,
0: so why do you make titles like
2: books? Well, because poetry to me, you know, it's, it, there's two ways of looking at art. You can look at uh, visual art poetically or you can take a fast read and just not think about it. It, it poetically. Right. So I, I think I'm forcing people to to use a different part of their brain. Mm-hmm. You can just you can just read the titles alone without putting them together with the work, and then you'll come away with it in, in a different way than if you tried to put it together with the with the uh, work. And um, <coughs> and. So I th- I'd like to throw a little bit of Shakespeare in and a little bit of other things just so people can, uh, you know, they can f- see, oh, this first of all comes from an ancient tradition. Weaving is, in, is one of the oldest traditions, mm-hmm. and so, you you know, there are ways to, to bring people into that older tradition in weaving and older tradition in writing and how words change meaning according to how they're used. Uh, that's what I'm really interested in. I'm, I'm really interested more in the the way words are used, like the Pelosi Afghan piece. Well, an Afghan, in this sense, is a person who lives in Afghanistan, but it's also a type of a, a weave or crochet that we, we all did in the 60s. and it didn't mean anything about Afghanistan at all. So just was a type of crocheting that everybody was doing. You know, you just wanted to have a little vest, or so. I wanted to definitely use that along with a political statement.
0: That's when Pelosi was supposed to go to Afghanistan and wasn't allowed to go. Or something. Yes. Like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. So and yeah. and
2: so she's behind also uh, everything in my weaves. The color, everything has. A, um, um, you know, a distinct meaning, like that is not Nancy Pelosi standing behind a green wall, by any means. This doesn't look like it's not supposed to be her. But anyone who is behind a wall, that's uh, that's got a separation in the wall. It can't open. I mean, that weave actually has a an opening in it. A slit. It's a, called a slit weave your mind is automatically going to say, what is that doing there? Why is that person able to stand there and not come out and fall down? It's like a lower, you know, things are done in terms of perspective and distance in painting as well as weaving. How do you get foreground, background, middle ground? How do you make drip things look like they're dripping? Um, All of that isn't something that most uh, of your viewers are going to say, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So the titles kind of push the viewer into a um, space where they're forced to come to terms with there's something else happening here that I'm not fully understanding. Let me take a a better look at this.
0: Right, and the titles come after the works are completed.
2: Yes, yeah. but I'm constantly writing titles.
0: Oh yeah, I'm changing
2: them. And changing them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm never satisfied. Here, Even true. after we've done the labels. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I Because um, I would still change them today if I could. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. know. I know.
0: You would go to the. But uh, actually, the the Afghan Pelosi is is also here on on view. Um, I can you. Talk a little bit about the hangers that you use for your works, because I think that's also an interesting element of, of your work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I try to find like farm tools, like 16th century farm tools from out here. I have a lot of that. I have a lot of farm tools. My my grandmother in the south had a farm, so my dad brought up all of those old farm tools that were like around the house. You know, a lot of stuff that had to do with slave. And uh, you know it's been in the house for like decades, and I always knew I wanted to use that in art, but I didn't know how. Yeah.
0: To use that. Yeah,
2: Yeah. and you know the things that you put on meals, the the plow things that you put on, all of that, and then I also collect just abstract um, metal things that I come across.
0: And you make ceramics like
2: this one. Yeah, Yeah. and I make
0: ceramics. Yeah.
2: The, and and those ceramics are they're they're twofold. I always say, uh, because I like sushi and I like Japanese food, so I figure if you want to take if you want to have one of these pieces and then just use the ceramic part for a sushi dish or something, it's <laughs> it's fine. I I think it's good that you know you can t- that you can take your yeah. It's, you know it's like that's what. What weaving was for in the old days was like for a pot holder or something. So, you know, you can also take them apart and use them for other things. You know, it'd be a beautiful little something to put little sushi on a something like that, you know. Yeah. And then I was also thinking they could be, you know, like a child's little jacket or something. You know, there's enough slips in there you could you, you know, I'm, I, maybe the next show will use these exact same things in another way. Who, hmm. who, who knows? That's,
0: right. yeah. constant like flow, like evolving. Like her Constantly rocks. Yeah. I, I'm right.
2: like, liking those rocks. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to ask both of you what's next, and then I want to open it up to, to the audience if you have any questions. Uh, Lori, what, what's next for you?
1: Um, according to the crystal ball. No, um, I don't know what's next. I am going to in Oregon on the Pacific coast in January, February. So I'll be in a really wonderful forest area on the coast. So I I think trees are going to stay with me. (laughs) I'm continuing to pursue uh, weaving. I'm really engaged with that. And I- So you
0: think you're going to stay three dimensional? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I also like working outside, which is something I never did before. So.
0: So something that the Roadshow show really made let me let me, me add it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's great,
2: Candace. So what's next? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be at the Watermill Center for a residency oh, in 2020, mm-hmm. and so that'll be fun. And I'll look around there. I I'm t- actually doing a book of poetry that uh, a London press is publishing in 2020 also. So I'm really working more on my writing right now. And yeah, that's, oh, and I'm going to be in a group show at Triple E Gallery. I'll give him a shout out. My first show there.
0: Wonderful. Mary. (laughs) Uh, okay.
2: My next door neighbor, Mary Heilman. Will probably be in that, but it's like who I introduced think. us to you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you,
0: Mary. <laughs> and I'm going to continue with the weaving also. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both, Laurie and and Candace, thank well, you for this conversation. And um, we're opening up to the audience. If anybody has any questions, yeah. yes, back there.
1: I'm just wondering if you could ever use dyes from fresh herbs and nature to incorporate into your work. Have yep. you ever thought about that?
0: Yes, we do, I do. I think both of you actually do use a lot of natural dyes.
1: Yes. Can you tell me how you do it? Well, I use cochineal for the burlap banners because I was using photographs as my color source. I didn't have to use dye really that much. So, but I've worked with indigo and various um, natural dyes. And tansy.
2: I mean, there are a lot of things that you can eat, you know, onion skins, you can get a great color of turmeric. There's lots of
1: books. There's a lot of black it. walnut out yeah, here. Yeah, black walnut. It's easy to dye wool.
0: So you cook, you, you you boil it, and mm-hmm. then you, you mm-hmm. put the thread. Yeah, in. I was
2: actually e- even, um, I was cleaning the, the bird feathers too at one time. I'm not doing that anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Jane, you you know that. It's like. Plucking bird feathers is not an easy uh, task. I'm really not that much of a nature lover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Draw you the line. you, th- you, th- you th- <laughs> think you are until you start doing something. You learn your, yourself. <laughs>
0: you stay indoors. You learn yourself. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for coming.
1: Thank you. <laughs>